We'll return to our series, Gospel Jewels in Jeremiah, in February. We've got a baptism service next Sunday morning. And this morning, having extended the week of prayer, we looked last Sunday morning at the great need for Christ's glory to be seen amongst us. Not only is that when a person first turns to Jesus, but for us as believers. And having been praying this week, we've been talking a lot, well, as elders we have, about repentance. And that's good. But are we repentant? In Moldova, a Christian is called a repentant one. So conversion to Christ is repenting, turning. And we continue that as believers. Are we repentant? There's no point discussing repentance if we don't show repentance. And then the question is, if we are repentant, what do we need to repent of? whether it's coming to Jesus Christ for the first time or whether we, as Christians, are repenting, not what people outside the church need to repent from, but what do we need, what do I need to repent from? And one of the things that has come to me during these times of prayer we've had is that modern evangelicalism in the West seems to be so lacking in one thing that New Testament Christians were full of. And I'm quite convinced we need to repent from our thanklessness. Thanklessness. And one of the best accounts in the New Testament of thanklessness and the positive, which is thankfulness, which we want to look at this morning, is the account of the ten lepers. We're familiar with it, most of us are, I'm sure, that as Jesus was going through Samaria, he passed uh, these ten lepers. And they were outside the village. They weren't allowed to be amongst the people. They were considered ceremonially unclean in the Old Testament. And they had to uh, say, unclean, unclean, as other people passed by. And there had to be a social distance. And they've heard of Jesus Christ, that he's healed lepers before. And so they cry out to him, to have mercy on them. They do this with a loud voice. They lifted up their voices. Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And he heals them. He heals all ten. But only one comes back to give thanks. Jesus asks, where are the nine? Where are the nine? Weren't ten healed? 
Where are the nine? Thanklessness. Now, I want us to look at two things this morning. The healing and then the thankfulness that that should produce in us. We're not physical lepers, but the Bible often describes our spiritual states as that of leprosy. I don't want to go into detail uh, here this morning on that, but leprosy numbed uh, the nerve endings. And that's what spiritual leprosy sin does to us. It numbs us so that we are just not aware of the biggest things in life. My relationship to God, not so much my body, but my soul, this spirit part of me. Death and what happens afterwards. There's a hell as well as a heaven. And my need to be made right with God. The reason why we are often numb to those things is because of this disease of sin. And just as lepers were unclean according to the Mosaic law, so we are spiritually unclean before God. Sin makes us not just distanced from God, but under his condemnation. So we need salvation. So just as these lepers were healed, that is a picture. All the miracles of Jesus Christ are signs of our salvation from sin. Now then, look first at their healing. Why are we thankless? It's because we don't realize what great a salvation we have in Jesus Christ. Now what's amazing here is the different ways Jesus used to heal people. He healed lepers before, but he never healed people in exactly the same way, even those with leprosy. When we were in Mark's gospel, when a leper came across Jesus early on in his ministry, what did Jesus do to heal him? He touched him. He touched him. Now, maybe these lepers were expecting Jesus to do the same thing here. That's what we tend to do. We tend to straitjacket Jesus' way of saving us. But if those of us who are Christians here this morning were to ask ourselves after the service, which might be a good thing, how did you come to be saved? We will all probably have different answers because Jesus deals with each one individually. I find that amazing. It's the cults that have people uh, reacting in exactly the same way. Jesus saves. Only Jesus saves. There is only one way to God, and that is Jesus Christ. But there are many ways to Jesus Christ. So here... It's not very spectacular, actually. <laughs> There's no touching, which is quite profound when you think lepers are unclean. But all Jesus says to them is, go show yourselves to the priests. Well, dear me, there's nothing to that, is there? What Jesus says to them is, Moses, in the Old Testament, prescribed what you had to do 
if you were healed from leprosy. That's why we read from Leviticus chapter 14. What he says to these 10 is do that. Go to the temple and follow the procedure that Moses laid down in the law. Did you understand the reading about the procedure? Let me just remind you. Two birds, two clean birds. One bird was killed in a clay pots we won't go into details there <laughs> and then the blood from that bird that was killed was sprinkled then upon the leper and then there was the live bird and the blood from the killed bird was put on the live bird as well and then the live bird was set free and it was like the scapegoats and there's a lovely picture, isn't there? The leper is pronounced clean, and he can see the blood, the spots of blood on the live bird. As the live bird flies away, he can see the spots of blood going smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller. How can I be cured from this spiritual leprosy of sin? Sacrifice is needed. Without the shedding of blood, there can be no remission of sins it's not a bird that's been sacrificed but a person 2000 years ago god's own son pure spotless undefiled the only one who could say clean he went to a cross and he was treated as the most unclean of people why because your sin and mine was put on him. He became the scapegoat, the scapegoat. And it's his blood. The blood signifies the sacrificial death. Jesus Christ died so that we might be forgiven. And if you think of that spot of blood on the scapegoat, the, I know a scapegoat is a contradiction in terms when you're describing a bird, a scapebird. When that spots of blood is growing smaller and smaller and smaller think of jesus christ bearing your sin and because he takes the punishment of a holy god and he what does he do he carries he carries our sins far far away how does the hymn put it do you, do you know the hymn L living he loved me how, how does the chorus of that hymn uh Dying, he saved me. Buried. Carried my sin far, far away. How far away did he carry it? As far as the east is from the west. There's an asymptote. There's no line on the horizon. There's no more sin to be seen. Now, if we realize that, shouldn't we be filled with thankfulness? It's not what I have done. It, it wasn't the going to the priests that saved the lepers. It wasn't the method that Jesus used that saved the lepers. It was the power of Christ. It was the power of Christ. Now, some people think of pastors in this way as if they have the power to save people. I don't have the power to turn a single soul to God. Only Jesus Christ can save. 
And realizing that, shouldn't we say in the same psalm as declares, as far as the east is from the west, so far has he carried our sins and separated our sins from us. Shouldn't our response be, bless the Lord, O my soul, who forgives all your iniquities. As a former geography teacher, I can tell you, when it comes to longitude, there's a North Pole, there's a South Pole. There's a finite distance between the two, North and South. When it comes to latitude, East and West, there's no East Pole, there's no West Pole. Our sins are gone, gone forever, if Christ has borne them. Isn't that a reason to give thanks? Understanding the way of salvation. We don't need a degree in theology to understand it, do we? As one lady whose first language wasn't English used to say, he die, me no more die. Have you seen that? Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones led a meeting in Sandfields where people were able to ask questions. And somebody asked the question, what's a Christian? What's a Christian? And a lady who had experienced this forgiveness of sins in Jesus Christ got up on her feet and said, a Christian is a person who's thanked Jesus Christ for dying in their place. And that was quite right. But there's something else here about the way of salvation. The law of Moses was there for the leper that had been healed. So a leper wasn't allowed to go to the priest until they were healed. Right? But Jesus Christ here says to these unclean men, they still had the leprosy, he tells them as lepers to go to the priest. Now that's amazing. Now how can I see that? Let me just read here, Mr. Spurgeon, if I can find the quotation. Being one of my heroes, this is how Mr. Spurgeon put it. Maybe I'm not going to be able to find it. It doesn't matter. Let's hear Joseph Hart put it. Do I have to wait until I'm better before I come to Jesus Christ? This is how Joseph Hart put it in a hymn. Let not conscience make you linger, nor of fitness fondly dream. All the fitness he requireth is to feel your need of him. Come, heart goes on to say, you weary. Is there anybody weary this morning? Because you've tried dealing with your spiritual leprosy. Come then, heavy laden. Are you carrying heavy loads? 
bruised and broken by the fall. If you tarry, if you wait till you're better, you will never come at all. Not the righteous, but sinners, lepers, Jesus came to call. And here is Mr. Spurgeon. As these men were to start straight away to the priests with all their leprosy upon them and to go there as if they felt they were already healed. So are you with all your sinnership upon you and your sense of condemnation hearing about your soul. You're to believe in Jesus Christ just as you are and you shall find everlasting life on the spot. This is my point, says Spurgeon. It is of the first importance. Sinners, as sinners, are to believe in Jesus for everlasting life. To him who works not, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly. Let no one leave the service this morning saying, I'm not good enough yet to come to Jesus Christ. The fact that you're not good enough is the best reason for you to believe in him. Believing in him, you will be a saved sinner and your life will change. But don't start making yourself better before you believe in him. Only Jesus Christ can change you and me. Isn't that a reason to give thanks? That I can come to Jesus as a sinner. In all my failure, in all my uh, disease. He's not going to be repelled. He's a wonderful saviour, you know. So that's my first point understanding this way of salvation will cause thankfulness to well up in our hearts. I'm mindful of the miners in Kingswood in Bristol. I don't think there are any miners in Kingswood in Bristol today, but in the 18th century, there were, there were miners in Kingswood in Bristol, and they were hearing George Whitfield preach Jesus Christ as the friend of sinners, and their uh, dirty faces... Uh, showed that their hearts were welling up with thankfulness because you could see the white as the tears rolled down from their eyes, the white uh, over the cheeks because they realized that in Jesus Christ they had somebody who loved them even though they were sinners. Jesus hasn't changed. Is there anybody here? Is there anybody here? who is thinking that somehow you are not the one for Jesus Christ? Is there anybody here who's thinking that in order to come to this church, you've somehow got to make yourself reach a certain level first? My friend, that is not, that is not what we're about. Come to Jesus as you are now. And I'll join you as well, because that's all we are in the end. Sinners saved by grace. Now, let me just look at this one leper who came back, because I find this amazing as well. What, what does he do? Well, here are the ten. 
doing what Jesus tells them. They're going to the temple. They're going to the temple. And then as they're going to the temple, before they even see the priest, before the bird is killed, they are suddenly healed. How do they know they're healed? Well, have you seen leprosy? Have you seen the disfiguring it causes? Have you seen the scarred, mottled skin of a leper? This is what is happening to them. As they're going to the temple, the skin is suddenly like a baby's skin, all tender, all pure, without blemish. And they know that they're healed. And so the nine carried on to the temple. Isn't that what Jesus had commanded them to do? I can sort of understand them doing what Jesus did exactly to the letter. But this one man, he's just bowled over by what has happened to him. And yes, he will go to the temple because that's what the law of Moses says. But he must go back first to Jesus. He must give thanks to this amazing Savior who has done this miracle. And that's when Jesus says, Were there not ten cleansed? But where are the nine? Where are the nine? I don't know if it's right to put it like this. Could we say that nine out of ten people here this morning, even if they have received this salvation are not as thankful as they should be. Maybe that's being too harsh. But there's a Puritan book called The Rare Jewel of Christian Contentments. We could say the rare jewel of Christian thankfulness. Thankfulness. This, this is how one person put it. Uh, we don't realize, you see, that it's by grace that we are saved. That's the problem, I think. Uh, this is how one person put it. Some people go through life thinking that God owes them something. And then they spend a lot of time grumbling about God when he fails to deliver. Even when they get what they want, they always find something to complain about. So these people, even those who can be professing Christians, they're constantly complaining about what they haven't got instead of giving thanks about what they've got. And when we have got the jewel of great price in Jesus Christ, when we have got the salvation of our immortal souls, isn't it ugly then to be constantly complaining? To render thanks is a beautiful thing. To be constantly murmuring is an ugly, ugly thing. There's a famous story, isn't there? I don't know if it's true, about a boy that's carried up by a tornado in the central plain of North America. And his mother prays to the Lord, please, Lord, bring, uh, bring him back to me. I'll do anything to get him back. And then God hears her prayer. And suddenly her son is standing there. He's been rescued. And then the lady glares up at God and says, but he had a hat on. <laughs> Where's the hat? <laughs> Who cares about the hat? He's been saved. He was going to die. 
and he's been saved. Who cares about that? Who cares about all these other lesser things? We have Jesus Christ as our Saviour. If you have a church that is lifting Jesus Christ up, who cares? I say it reverently. Who cares about the hats? Literally and metaphorically. <laughs> What's Thanksgiving like? What, what, what is it like? When we realise it's all of grace, I think it's significant, you see, that it's not a Jew who comes back to give thanks. It's a Samaritan. Verse 16 he fell down on his face at his feet, giving him thanks, and he was a Samaritan. Now, even Jesus says, were there not cl ten cleansed, but where are the nine? Were there not any found who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? Now, that might sound insulting at first, but Jesus is right. He's saying, where are the insiders, the Jews? It was the Jews who were sound, who were faithful to God. The Samaritans had gone astray. And yet, it's this outsider that is filled with thankfulness. And isn't that often the case? It is people who are privileged with a Christian heritage like we have here in Wales. I love Welsh Calvinistic Methodism, which I grew up in. I love everything it stands for. The privilege of having all of that and yet, how unthankful we are. And then we have Iranian brothers and sisters uh, coming from a far less privileged background. And they put us to shame with their thankfulness. I remember in Bible college uh, being much closer theologically to men from this country. But there were... Students from Asia, I remember two from Myanmar, Tuan and Suan, and they didn't have our theological heritage. They, they, they didn't have it all right with their theology. They didn't cross all their T's and dot all their I's. But what struck me about them is they gave thanks all the time. They gave thanks for even the smallest of things. It was an attitude. And isn't God today working in many parts of the world that lack our privileges, our theological privileges, our heritage of revivals? Isn't God working there in order to put us to shame? Now let's look at him. What does he do? Look at him. When he saw that he was healed, he returned. I can't imagine him walking. I can imagine him running. Why do I say that? Well, he is animated, isn't he? And with a loud voice glorified God and fell down on his face at his feet, giving him thanks. You can tell, even without knowing the details, that this man is in love with Jesus Christ. You can tell, can't you? If you were a passerby and if you looked at what was happening, a man running back somewhere, and then when he meets the person he's looking for, he falls at his feet, and with a loud voice, he praises him and gives thanks to him. Ah, you will say, that man has experienced something from this person that he is eternally grateful for. In the Greek, incidentally, the word for loud voice, uh, the word is phonemega. 
Does that sound familiar? Megaphone. So this man doesn't just say thank you. You know, you can't force a person to say thank you. Uh, when I was forced to go to chapel as a boy, my mum would sometimes, you know, that look over the glasses, uh, that teacher's look, when the glasses are half down and they're looking at you and she would say, you must give thanks. And I would obey, but my heart wasn't filled with thankfulness. But this man, he's mega thankful. He's mega in his response. Are we mega in our response to Jesus Christ? Is our praise a mega praise? Is our Christianity a mega-hearted Christianity? I think we've lost something, my friends. I know there are differences in personalities. I know there are differences in cultures, and I'm not talking about that. But it's the heart, isn't it? Are our hearts overflowing with thankfulness at what Jesus Christ uh, has done uh, for us? If I can find it, there's a brilliant uh, quote from Mr. Spurgeon. He had so many people converted. There were about 5,000 people in his church. Imagine having a church that full. And this was the 19th century. And he has uh, put it like, like this, if I can find it. I'm not doing very well, am I, here this morning? But this is how Spurgeon puts it uh, about some of his converts. Uh, they, they were just annoying some people. Some of our converts are very wild, he said. <laughs> They're very wild at times. They are so extravagant, but don't blame them. Why not indulge them? It will not hurt you. We are all of us so very proper and orderly that we can afford to have an extravagant one among us now and then. Oh, that God would send more of that sort to wake the church up, that we also might begin to praise God with heart and voice, with soul and substance, with might and main. And then Spurgeon adds, hallelujah, my own heart feels the glow. It's true, isn't it? When you have somebody maybe in a prayer meeting that's only been converted for a few weeks and they make mistakes, but there's a glow there and that causes the rest of us to catch something of that warmth. I remember a gentleman sitting up there once. It was Christmas time and we'd just finished singing Hark the Herald Angels Sing and it wasn't forced. After we sang the hymn, he said, Yes, Lord. Well, well. It's not something that we do mechanically, the spontaneity of a grateful heart. If our hearts are filled with thankfulness, it'll show itself one way or another, won't it? You know, my fear for not just our church, but the Reformed scene, is that we can be so correct and there's nothing wrong with being sound, but that we can be so proper that if God was to bless, we would miss the blessing. You see, I can sort of sympathize with the nine because they were doing exactly what Jesus told them to do. They didn't do anything wrong. Hadn't Jesus said to them, go and show yourself to the priest? In a sense, it's this one leper 
that breaks the rule. But there's a place sometimes, isn't there? Because it's the spirit that gives life. The letter kills, but it's the spirit that gives life. Now, the Holy Spirit never contradicts the word of God. But sometimes our hallowed traditions, if the spirit comes down, are smashed to smithereens. We're aware, aren't we, of the, one of the last revivals in this country, the 1949 revival on the Isle of Lewis. We've been praying in the week of prayer, and the extended week of prayer. Lord, revive us. Send your spirits. That's what we're doing in a week of prayer. And did you know this? That revival happened in the Church of Scotland. And the Church of Scotland has always been mixed. And people on Lewis in the Free Church of Scotland were suspicious of the revival. And there was one man, this is what he said. This is what he said. I, I find this scary. I, I really, really do. This is, this is how he puts it. He was altogether opposed to the revival. And this is what he said. He had prayed for revival, but of course it could not come through the Church of Scotland. Why not? Why not? Because it was the wrong church. It's the wrong leper that came back to Jesus Christ. Wasn't a Jew. It was a Samaritan. Evan Roberts was the wrong person, wasn't he, in one sense? He was from the mines. 1904 revival. I think it's Dale Ralph Davis in his new commentary on Luke who says, it is the glory of God that he wrongly gathers in such unexpected trophies of his grace. The wrong person. Do you feel an outsider? You're not if you're coming to Christ. Do you feel the wrong kind of person? My friend, we're all wrong. We're all wrong. It's only Jesus Christ who's right. When we pray that God will save people, do we stipulate to God how he should save those people? Of course we don't. When we pray that God would bless his work in Wales, do we think, Lord, it's got to be this way? Of course we can't. If Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones said that if revival was to break out, speaking in 1959, that he was afraid that it would pass Westminster Chapel by because he feared that people there were so proud of their heritage, then we should say, Lord, don't let us be like that. And then the amazing thing, as I come to a conclusion, because we've got to go into communion, I find this leper who came back so humble Jesus says were there not ten cleansed but where are the nine notice this man didn't say oh they were an ungrateful bunch 
he didn't blame them at all, did he? When our hearts are filled with thankfulness, there's no room for a critical spirit. There's no room. Because we know that there's enough spiritual leprosy in us. And praise be to God, Jesus Christ has washed that away. And now we're just so grateful to him. And we just want others to experience what we've experienced. And we don't really care how he does that. As long as he's glorified. So what about us? What about us? Are we a thankful people here this morning? Um, George Herbert, the mystical poet, he had this prayer. If you're a believer, maybe you can pray this. Thou hast given so much to me. Give one thing more. A grateful heart, not thankful when it pleaseth me, as if thy blessing had spare days, but such a heart whose pulse may be thy praise. We should be like that, shouldn't we, as Christians? And if there are people here, as I'm sure there are, who are still not genuinely saved, what's stopping you? What's stopping you from coming this morning to Jesus Christ? Don't let our lack of thankfulness stop you. My friends, I want to say Jesus Christ is not like his church. Jesus Christ is full of grace. And we want to be more like him, don't we? We want to be more like him so that we draw people to him. But what's stopping you? You can't say your sin is stopping you because he's the friend of sinners. You can't say your lack of ability to believe is stopping you because he says you can't do it in your own strength. You can't say your background is stopping you because he delights to save the wrong people. What's stopping you? Come to him. Come to him before it's too late. Where are the nine? May that never be said of us here. May we be the tenth, the tenth, even if we're the wrong person, for his namesake. Now let's um, sing another hymn of thankfulness. It's what a wonderful change. What a wonderful change since Jesus came into my hearts. And this hymn will prepare us then for the communion.
Father, we do praise Thee and give thanks uh, for our salvation. Oh, Lord our God, uh, don't, don't let us grow up. Don't let me grow older and become a grumpy, old, Welsh, Reformed, evangelical pastor. Oh, Lord, don't let any of us uh, have that critical spirit. But may our hearts so be full of gratitude, that there won't be any room for anything else. Lord, help us to repent of our thanklessness. Lord, we've become experts, but we pray that we would know our hearts better and that even more we would know our Saviour better. Lord, we just want Jesus Christ to be all in all. Continue with us now as we come to this thy table in his name. Amen.